Group. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, John. And and we got a great show for you today. The 5 o'clock show, it's a TriCast. It's on AM 970, The Answer. It's on WABC 770 and WLIR. And we have common sense Democrats, common sense Republicans. Now, Judge, the common sense Democrat, uh, Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, you're outnumbered today. We have two common sense Republicans. I liked it better last night. You liked it better last night. (laughs) And we have Craig Eaton, uh, the 10 year GOP chairman of Brooklyn and a prominent attorney uh, as a common sense uh, Republican. Another common sense Republican, John McLaughlin. And you are famous worldwide. You, you even, Only because I know you. You even so. do you do polling internationally. You <laughs> uh-huh. do Canada. You do you do Hungary and, and many other co- countries. Is that correct? Right. Correct. And uh, only in democracies, free free countries, democracies where they don't shoot the pollster. That's better. That, that's <laughs> absolutely. And you're very accurate. You're your that's very smart. That's and my very smart, kick, John. And my sidekick, Lydia Serrano. You well today? I'm doing great. Tell us about the rest of the show. We've got a great show where we'll be speaking, of course, with John McLaughlin, and he's got some great polls. Joe Parisi, who is the president of Gracidis D'Agostinos. We will be talking to Peter Navarro. He is in the news. Dr. Mark Siegel, Governor Pataki, Judge Joe Napolitano. So a full show tonight. Wow. Well, let's start. Uh, John, uh, you said you had some hot news about the latest polls going on in our country and worldwide. Tell him, give us a report. Where the heck? Well, how do you say? Where the heck are we? <laughs> right. Well, for that, we put our poll out. We do a monthly poll that our subscribers buy questions on and pay for. But we put it out this month, and we expected something to change. Like some people said to me, President Biden, maybe the State of the Union helped, et cetera. And I said, not if people are going to buy gas and buy food. And he's, his job approval is only 41%. A 1,000 likely voters across the country modeled after the 2020 election. These are voters that voted, the majority voted for him for president. And 70% think the economy's getting worse. Two-thirds think the country's on 70%? the wrong. 70%? Seven, seven, seven That's zero. scary. That's very and it's scary. the majority of Democrats as well as Republicans. So so when you're thinking of that, that the economy's uh, going to get worse. How your friend, uh, President Trump, would say, we're in deep crap? Uh, well, he certainly... He was out in Georgia at a rally this weekend, and most of it he spent talking about his record compared to Joe Biden's record. And that's what he needs uh, to do if uh, he wants to run again. Exactly, exactly. And it's, and it's like, and it extends itself to, like, you'll have Governor Pataki on later. I saw him three weeks ago in Hungary, and he was helping with the refugee crisis there, delivering aid to the, to the uh, refugees from Ukraine. But I tell you, everything with the international, but domestically, it's the economy. And that's what's deciding what's going on well, with Joe Biden the and the Democrats. The poor and middle class are being punished. The poor and middle class double the price of gasoline, thirty mm-hmm. percent uh, higher in um, uh, in food. Yes. And uh, uh, after you, we have uh, Joe uh, Parisi is going to be on, who is the COO of uh, of Gristides and D'Agostino. And uh, the prices are going to the moon. You know what it costs for an Oreo, Oreo cookie? Right. Don't ask. But I heard you say if people you like should invest Oreo, in that, right? You, <laughs> buy you know, now. Buy now before they go even higher and corner the market on Oreo cookies. Right. Because of that, by the way, the people that think the economy is getting worse, 73% of women think it's getting worse. 
to me, that's a change in the polls because, and it's 52% of the Democrats, of course, Republicans, 81%, 87% independents, 71%. They all think it's this economic pessimism, it's all because of inflation. It's the top economic issue Look, in the polls. I have nothing against Joe Biden. I know him for 40 years, and I, 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 like to, I want to like him. But the guy's not doing the right thing, and that hurts. If it hurts America, it bothers me. Right. And what is, what's their answer? To spend more money and to cut back on energy? I mean, when you talk about the, the promise. He is killing, he's killing the United States of America and North America on energy. Yep. So, and what about him raising taxes? He wants to keep taxing, taxing. Are are the wealthiest of Americans going to pay higher taxes? No, they're just going to pass those costs down. Am I right, John? Wait, wait. wait. Besides that, I had a call from, uh, uh, what was it, Newsweek last uh, yesterday or uh, uh, The Beast? Is that that's Daily Newsweek, Beast? right? Daily Beast. And they said they wanted my comment uh, about uh, the 700 billionaires of the country being taxed. Jeez. Well, uh, and you know what my comment was? Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll tell you my comment. Yeah. My comment was most of the 700 uh, of those billionaires are Democrats, and <laughs> most of them supported Joe Biden. So it's their problem. Yeah, but I tell you what the real problem is. Tell us. The real problem is they're going to tax you on your wealth that you don't even have yet. So in the when you read the fine print, if you listen to our friends like economist Larry Kudlow, they'll tell you, or Stephen Moore, They'll tell you they're going to ta- they're going to tax you on what you think you're going to make from an investment. So where are you going to invest? Where are you going to build a factory? Not here. You're building in China. So maybe Hunter Biden but does benefit you, from this. Well, if they're going to tax you, let's say you had a theoretical gain, right? Right. Is it just on stocks or is it on everything? Everything. No, everything. I think it's on. So it, it could if be you bought a house, real estate, who knows? If you bought a house for four hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it's now worth a million four. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happens in inflation. Mm-hmm. They're going to pay you. Have to pay the tax on the difference between four hundred thousand and a million four. Yes. Well, I guess if you're a billionaire, I don't know how they. It's, You'd it's have over to pay the tax million. on it as if it was worth it. If yeah, you bought but it, it always drifts down. They start off with a small number of people called billionaires, right. and then the way taxes work, the numbers drift down to pick up a lot of. You give people. them more well, incentives. You don't punish success. That's, that's what Joe Biden said originally. Joe Biden says, we're only going to tax the billionaires. We're only going to tax the, the large corporations. But guess what? It drifts it's down. The, the poor and the middle class are the ones buying. Right. They're paying. And, and we'll um, end up paying for it. Just like they said, oh, we're not going to tax anybody who makes over does makes over $400,000. Anybody who makes over under 400000 excuse me. And that was a lie because we've already been paying for it at the pumps. We're paying it in the food, the gas, every, everything we're already being taxed right, on. Right. And, Even the people under 50000 right. are paying for it because they have to buy food. That's right. And what it's happens? 20% on unrealized gains. What about unrealized losses? Does it give you a exactly. credit on that? Does it give you any benefit <laughs> well, if there's a loss? Well, break it down for people what, if they don't know what unrealized means. It means you haven't sold the asset yet, but the ash, asset has, has appreciated significantly. So they'll, they'll value what the asset is worth and what your gain is on that asset, even though you don't sell it. So then now there's, the government is psychic? They'll know exactly? Well, it's worse than that. Well, guys, guys, who walked into the studio? Uh, we have the COO of uh, Gristides and this uh, and Agostino, and he's going to give us a report on the price of Oreo cookies. Joe Parisi. Did he Joe bring per- any with him? Did Joe he bring Parisi. any Oreos with him? Give us a report. Did you, wait, wait. Did you bring any uh, Oreos with you? We're hungry. <laughs> no, I just figured I'd leave them somewhere else. You don't need them anyway, John. Thank you, everyone. We do. Um, listen, what's happening is, and let's just talk more than Oreos cookies.
you know, inflation is up. I mean, and it's been up since September. You know, we're looking at over 7%. It's happening in all, all categories. So beef, we're looking at milk, we're looking at all the dairy products, you know, and really what I see that people need to do today is, and I'm going to put it out there, stock up on stuff because it's not going to end. Right now, everybody's talking that the inflation is going to continue in the next few months, and we're going to see, and I've already gotten price increases coming in for June of 5 to 8% higher. So I really believe people have to start doing their emergency stockpile. And John talks about Nabisco and Oreos, stuff like that, especially in the cookie categories, the cereal categories, I think people should start doing their own little emergency fund. And this is on the national brands yep. uh, that you see in your supermarkets day to day. And I understand eggs are going wild and uh, because of uh, some circumstances. But uh, you, you're still are getting, on, on the national brands, you're still getting increases. And what I said to uh, people last week, if oil stays at $110, you haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, the oil part plays a big part because of gas. And... As gas continues to rise, the people that are supplying that product and bringing it to you, they're going to start charging that in their prices. And they're starting to hit our companies with fuel charges. So the oil part plays a huge part of this that is going to continue to affect the pricing. You know, and this is something that didn't start, you know, it started in September. You know, we were up 5%. It's just continuing. So, um but I do believe the gas part plays a huge continuation of what's happening. Everything that comes into New York City, Long Island, Queens, New Jersey comes by truck. So every time a truck has to load up, I understand. Bert Flickinger was on our show last week, and he says to get a truckload of, of uh, lettuce from the West Coast, from California to New York, to Hunts Point Market, for the distribution in this tri-state area. It used to be $5,000 for the truck of lettuce. Now it's something like 14000 wow. Have you heard that too? Yeah. I've heard prices that, especially in the container world, it was about $5,000. Now it's almost $20,000 to get to containers through the ports due to all this pricing that's going on. And we had uh, the CEO of Goya Foods here the other day too, and he says bringing in food through the Pacific and – it used to be $2,000 for a container from uh, Korea or China or Japan or Thailand. And now some of the stuff is costing $18,000. Yeah, what, what, what's out there and the information that I get every day, it seems like the West Coast is having more difficulties than the East Coast. Uh, a lot of stuff that we bring from the West Coast is getting delayed and having issues. Uh, and I understand, did we talk about eggs yet? I heard that the eggs are going to be a problem in the next few weeks. And don't forget, Easter is coming. Yeah, there's two major things, and I don't want a panic to be out there. There's two major things that have happened with eggs. One, price increase, and there is a bird flu out there. It's not an East Coast thing, but there's birds that have gotten a flu, and, of course, it's killing the birds, which now prices today doubled. So what I was paying normally on my cost, it doubled. By the so, way, the sentiment about I was showing the I was showing uh, our, our other colleagues here the sentiment that seventy percent of all consumers or voters voters anyway my voters think the economy is getting worse. That's higher than it was when COVID happened. 
And it's like it was better beginning of last year when Biden took over. But the consumers are ahead of this where they think it's going to get worse because inflation is the number one problem. So the question is wheat. Like you haven't mentioned wheat. You did mention cookies. But we talk about the world. Wheat's a, a product around the world that Ukraine and Russia, that's a breadbasket. And Indians, India gets wheat from them. Uh, Egypt gets wheat from them. What's going to happen to the price of U.S. wheat, you know, that these consumers will pay? Yeah, it, it's, it, I didn't bring up everything, and I have it all, but, you know, wheat is another factor that's coming up. And the thing that everybody has to remember is things that are being made with milk, eggs, wheat, all those commodities are going to jump yeah. just based on what's happening to a commodity, you know, and you have to watch that because especially the production of stuff. Any relief in sight, Joe Parisi? I really don't see it. I, I, I really don't see it in the next six months or maybe even longer. Well, I gave everybody a solution, and uh, President Joe Biden has not listened to me. I wonder why. I said New, the United States of America, North America, could be self-sufficient on oil, and the price of oil will go down 50%. Yeah. It'll go back down to $55, $60 a barrel, and then all the inflation will go away. And we'll resume normal life. And all he has to do is do, you know, do what I suggested, the North America uh, Energy Treaty, have the United States, Canada, and, and uh, Mexico. Mexico act in concert to produce up to 15 million barrels a day. And you know what he goes off to? He goes off to say, climate! Well, <laughs> I heard President Trump the other day make a comment. You know what right. the comment was? He feels that over the next hundred years, we might have a quarter-inch rise in the Atlantic Ocean, and that would be horrible. Well, if we, if the United <laughs> States goes broke over the next twenty years, we're never going to get to hundred years. We're never going to get to that point. Yeah, we'll be under the jurisdiction of dictators if we're going to if we're going to tiptoe through the tulips and not have a strong enough air force, a strong enough army, a strong enough marines, a strong enough sailors. You know something? We're going to let five and a half billion people in the world are run by dictators. We're going to have them run us. No. John McLaughlin, uh, Greg. Well, Eaton. we have midterm elections coming up, so we we need to you know, the consumers and the Americans need to get out there and look at what's happening with with our president and the White House and make a change. We we can change this. This but, is what but, happens when you put ideology got, before American lives, and that's what we're doing. We're putting ideology before. Uh, worrying about the United States of America. Let's worry about self-existence of the United States of America before we worry about South America, before we worry about anybody. And about hurting anybody's feelings when we need to be able to put food on the table. How about that? And be able to go to work and from work and pay. Our, I mean, think about the average American. How are they going to pay these gas prices if they're only making minimum wage? How it's are they going to do this? It's not a punishment on the rich. It's a punishment on the poor and the and, and the middle class and the working yeah. people. Yeah. And if we don't straighten out New York and get New York straightened out as far as uh, uh, crime, then New Yorkers they're going to leave. Yeah. And and plus the when you talk about energy, just cost it's it's like six seven dollars a gallon. You get into the city, it's it's you know those of us who come from the suburbs, it's a little cheaper, but it's ridiculous. I just wish the election was tomorrow because 
nationwide, the Republicans win for Congress 48 to 44 in that yeah. poll. We'd yeah. probably get over 50 percent of the vote. And Trump uh, would, I wish he was up this year, <laughs> he'd win. Guys, uh, we're all emotional. Let's take a break and regroup, and we'll be right back. And uh, we got a lot more action for you. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. While we talk about trying to feed Americans and how they'll be able to do it, we also have to worry about what's going on across the world, specifically in Ukraine. One man who's trying to make a difference, Governor George Pataki. He was recently in Hungary. Now he's in South Carolina. Governor Pataki, how are you? I'm good, Lydia. How are you? Everything's going well. Uh, tell us, fill us in what's going on. We have in the studio with us John McLaughlin, and he says he saw you in Hungary. Uh, give us yes, an update. That's right. Well, uh, we had a press conference with David Beasley. David Beasley is the head of the World Food Program, and it's a little-known agency, but it raises billions each year to feed people who are on the verge of starvation around the world. And last year, under Beasley's leadership, it got the Nobel Peace Prize for the efforts that he has made to feed people in starving communities. And we held the press conference because they're now focusing on trying to get as much aid to ship into Ukraine as possible. Uh, and, of course, that's what we've been doing with the Pataki Center. We were in Ukraine. We have people on the ground on the Ukrainian border right now. We're sending 30, 30 uh, metric tons of food again today into Ukraine. And tomorrow we're meeting, not me, but people from the Pataki Center are meeting with the, the provincial government in Ukraine to sign, hopefully sign an agreement where we would have an NGO in Ukraine itself so we could bring product bring food, bring medicine, bring clothing right to the refugees in Ukraine. So uh, this is just an important mission, and we're a small part of a lot of people trying to do important things. Well, and and, and tell us, what do you hear from your friends at the uh, Ukraine? Have you heard any updates at all? Uh, Not really. Just, uh, you know, there's still an internal refugee crisis. You know, we read about the 3.8 million refugees who have fled Ukraine uh, and the help that they're getting and the difficulties they're having. But what we don't read about are they're now estimating as many as 10 million Ukrainian refugees are displaced inside Ukraine. They're not leaving Ukraine. They have no place to go. It's almost all women and children because their husbands are behind fighting uh, against the Russians. So so, you know, you hear the hopes from the peace talks. You just don't know. Putin is uh, not an, obviously not an honest guy. So what he says doesn't mean anything. What he does is what matters. And uh, you just hope that these peace talks are, in fact, real and that Russia understands that Ukraine is, has held strong and it's going to be independent uh, and they should stop uh, killing people and committing more war crimes. But that's still to be seen, John. Well, I understand you have to catch a plane, but I want to thank you for calling in to, uh, to the station and giving all New Yorkers an update of what's going on. And uh, God bless you, and have a great plane flight. Well, thank you, John. I just want to mention one other, one other thing. 85% of the wheat and grain that goes to Egypt comes from Ukraine and Russia. And it's not just that people are not getting fed there. Unless there is some solution to this, uh, there's going to be hunger throughout the world and massive tens of millions of refugees. So this is an important mission, and we're proud to be a small part of it. 
Thank you for having me on, John. Well, thank you, uh, Governor, and thank you for all the work you do for uh, the American people and the world people. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. And now we have uh, Judge Joe Napolitano. He's on with us right now. Hi, Judge. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, Judge Weinberg in our studio, uh, uh, tell us uh, what we'd like to, to hear from Judge Napolitano Judge, on, how on are opinions. You? Uh, I'm very concerned about the case out of the United States District Court in California where the judge uh, offered an opinion that uh, former President Trump may be guilty of some sort of obstruction against congressional authority and, and process and ordered the turning over of documents based on the, the theory there's some sort of crime exception to attorney client privilege. I'd like your thoughts on that, sir. All right. So um, the, the January 6th committee, which is a select committee of the House, meaning it's not a standing committee. It's a committee that Mrs. Pelosi put together, and she put on that committee the people that she wanted on it. The two Republicans on it are anti-Trump Republicans, well known to the public for those views. Subpoenaed the records of John Eastman. John Eastman is a well-known, well-respected constitutional scholar who was advising President Trump and I believe our uh, friend Rudy Giuliani uh, in the days and weeks and months between the election and January 6th. John Eastman sent uh, 111 uh, emails to various personnel in the White House and parts of the Trump team, and the January 6th committee subpoenaed those emails. Professor Eastman said, I'm not going to turn them over to you because uh, the president is my client and I'm the lawyer. We have the attorney-client privilege. So he sued the committee in Sacramento, California, which is where he works and lives, uh, and he asked a federal judge to quash the subpoena. The federal judge denied the request and said, I'm going to order you to turn over 101 of the 111 of these uh, emails because I find there is no attorney-client privilege because, as our judge just said, of the crime fraud exception. What does that mean? That means that the judge, this federal judge, found that Professor Eastman and former President Trump were engaged in criminal activity, which is um, uh, discussed in these emails, and therefore there's no attorney-client privilege, and therefore the committee can get the emails. Now, this is exquisitely and profoundly unfair to former President Trump, because, as every judge knows, if you're about to make a ruling against someone, particularly something as profound as it is more likely than not that he engaged in criminal activity, you put that person on notice, invite them into your courtroom, and invite their lawyers to give their version of events. So without hearing so much as a peep from Donald Trump or lawyers in his behalf, this federal judge found, in his opinion, that it was more likely than not that Donald Trump and Professor Eastman conspired to commit a federal crime. So that's where this stands now. Uh, he found 10 of the 111 emails were covered by the attorney-client privilege, but he ordered, ordered the 101 surrendered to the committee. I don't know if Professor Eastman is going to appeal, and I don't know if President Trump is going to join the case. But that's where it stands as of this moment. And it's very troubling because then they, if they're going to appeal, they have to go to the Ninth Circuit. And what does that mean? Don't, don't, don't look for any favors for Donald Trump in the Ninth Circuit. You're right, Your Honor. This, this is a liberal circuit in the country. Reagan tried to change it. Trump tried to change it. It's so big and so populated with uh, liberal Democratic judges 
but uh, it would it would take a concerted effort of uh, eight years uh, to change it, but they haven't succeeded in doing so. Well, what else? we were going to talk about one more subject, uh, Judge. Well, I'm well very... I wanted to express the uh, opinion uh, that uh, Joe Biden's uh, sanctions theoretically against uh, Putin are profoundly unconstitutional. The sanctions consist of seizing assets, freezing assets, and interfering with the free exercise of commercial activity. There are two federal statutes that authorize him to do this. The Magnitsky Act of 2016, an Obama-era statute, and the International Economic Emergency Act of 1977, a Carter-era statute. Both statutes are unconstitutional. Both statutes say if the president declares you to be a violator of human rights and you're a foreign person, not an American, the president can seize your property, freeze your property, and prevent you from engaging in economic intercourse without a trial, without any finding whatsoever. And if you want to challenge that, you have to come to the United States, submit to the jurisdiction of the United States, and prove that you are not a human rights violator. As this, those, uh, statutes, those statutes turn the Constitution on its head, because the government must always prove its case. The defendant doesn't have to come in and prove that he's innocent, but that's what these statutes require. Have uh, either of these statutes ever been tested in litigation in federal court? Yes, the, uh, the older one has been tested. The Supreme Court, by a vote of 8 to 1, found it constitutional, because of the, the people who challenged it didn't have the authority to challenge it. They weren't the foreigners. They were the Americans who suffered an, an ancillary effect. So if I'm a liquor distributor in New Jersey and I paid uh, $10 million to my uh, supplier in, in St. Petersburg, Moscow, Russia, to send me vodka to Port Newark and the government seizes, seizes it in Port Newark and I want my $10 million back, I can't get it. The the, the uh, liquor manufacturer in Russia has to come, to, which he's never going to do, has to come to the United States and challenge the statute. So it was a standing so issue. Thing, yes. The whole thing is is, uh, is a scheme to allow whoever the president is. It could be Donald Trump. It could be Ronald Reagan. But, but to allow whoever the president is to seize foreign assets without due process. The problem is when you have a dictatorship like Putin runs, the people whose assets are being frozen seized and, and seized and whose economic activities being interfered with have nothing whatsoever to do with the foreign policy of the country. So the people being hurt are not the people that are causing the war in Ukraine. Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano, uh, thank you so much for uh, filling in the American people. And and it's, it's horrible what's going on. It seems like there's two types of justice in America right now. And, and there's got to be only one type of justice. And uh, God bless you for everything you do, and God bless America. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank John, you, John. No matter what we talk about, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, let's take a break, and we're going to come back with uh, Peter Navarro. And he's got some interesting things to talk about. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. Oh. We have our next guest on the line, and you probably know him. He served in the Trump administration as the assistant to the president. He was the director of trade and manufacturing policy. And the National Defense Production Act Policy Coordinator as well, Peter Navarro. Peter, how are you, sir? 
Doing just lovely today. How's uh, everything in Catsland? In Catsland, I tell you, it's cold. It's cold in New York City, but I'm selling more heating oil. And uh, I need snow to sell groceries. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know. I'm glad, John, I'm glad your, your business model was diversified. You were an intelligent man, sir. Well, thank you. Can you give us an update on, uh, tell us, give us an update first on January 6th because you were involved in it. Uh, yes, uh, last night the uh, January 6th Select uh, Witch Hunt Committee, Witch Hunt Committee. consisting of um, rabid uh, Democrats and the rhino Republicans who tried to impeach President Trump twice, went after me and Brother Scavino, the president's tweet master. Um, and what, what's, what jumps out at me, John, I think what's interesting for your listening audience um, is um, this is a blatant assault on executive privilege. Executive privilege is something that goes back to George Washington, and it's really critical that a president have that privilege uh, to make intelligent presidential decisions. And what, uh, what this committee has done in league with the White House and Justice Department is doing end run. It's really unprecedented. Here's the thing. Here's here's the buried lead. Joe Biden has asserted he has the power to, to basically take away the executive privilege of his predecessor, and that 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 dog won't hunt at the Supreme Court. It will go there. I'm going to do my best to get it there. Um, an Obama judge in a, in a, one of those uh, friendly courts. Uh, Napolitano was talking about uh, basically said Biden could do it, but it's a silly, silly ruling. We cannot let that be precedent. But that's uh, that's going to be the hill um, that we're going to fight on uh, uh, initially. Peter, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I, I I tell you, I think it's absolutely outrageous that the Biden administration takes the position that they have the right to waive the privilege for prior president. It's ridiculous. And he's not going to like it when uh, the situation changed. The House is taken over by, by the Republicans, and they start subpoenaing exactly. all the records exactly. with respect to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. They're not exactly. going to like it at all. Yeah. It's a very dangerous precedent yeah. they're setting. Yeah. I, I tell you, you what. Turn, you you, you turn executive privilege basically into a partisan ping-pong ball. I, and I can't emphasize. Look, I've been in the White House Oval Office. I've been in the Situation Room with the president. If we senior advisors can't give him the best possible advice without the prying eyes of, of shifty Adam Schiff and, and those clowns, we are not going to be able to have a republic that has a president who makes the best decision. So, so Richard, you're absolutely right. This is this is an abomination, and um, uh, they're really overplaying uh, playing their hands here. And I, I also wanted to bring everybody's attention that, you know, the whole Hunter Biden story, the laptop, one of the CIA officers who signed that letter, you know, the 51 that said, hey, this is not this is all misinformation. He actually tweeted out, quote, I take special pride in personally swinging the election away from Trump. Holy cow. Yeah, but that's that's John Seifer. He served for decades as a senior operations officer at the CIA. He said, I lost the election for Trump. Well, then I feel pretty damn good about my influence. He must have been a double agent. <laughs> but, but, you know, the privilege is fundamental to the operation of government. I mean, it's, it's crazy what they're doing here. Let, let me swing a little higher. The, the, the big villain in that piece 
is William Barr, Attorney General Bill Barr. Bill Barr you know, got on TV and, and said, you know, like Casablanca, oh, I'm shocked that this laptop was real. It's like that dude knew. He knew he had the laptop at the Department of Justice a full 18 months or more before the election. And that guy sat on it. And, and shame on Bill Barr. That, that guy is nothing but a bushy rhino who did everything he could to take Donald Trump down, including not going after the laptop from hell. Good for you, Miranda Devine at the New York Post. What, what I look at is uh, I think Bill Barr did not do the right thing by President Trump because he was a uh, – I think he was more loyal to uh, George Bush than he was to uh, yes. Donald Trump. That's my opinion. Yes. And I mean, I won't call them names of that, but I think that's apparent. And I think there was things that he should have done that he didn't do that affected the election. Let me ask you, uh, John McLaughlin. Uh, you, 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 John, you were there. Tell right. us what you you know. I tell you what. What I was going to tell Peter is what's amazing is the attacks on him and Dan Scavino is all. They all want to stop Donald Trump from winning again. This poll that we released that was uh, that's on our website, McLaughlinOnline.com, 1,000 likely voters, 68% of the Republican primary voters want Trump to run again. If he runs again, they support him 82 to 14. And guess what? It's it, they beat, He beats Joe Biden 48-45. He beats Kamala Harris 50 to 42. And he beats Hillary Clinton 51 to 41. So the work that Peter's doing. <laughs> that one. And this kangaroo, yeah. th- this, what I'd worship, yeah. Peter, what I'd ask you and, and Judge, Judge Weinberg here is, and Craig, that January 6th committee, it's a kangaroo court. There's Absolutely two, kangaroo two court. Trump's, two Trump haters yeah. for the Republicans. They it, wouldn't let the Republicans worth, name but, any committee members at all. No, they, and she vetoed is, yeah. nominees of uh, those, the minority leader. Yeah, and it's backfiring. And and that's Peter, what Peter's Peter saying. Navarro, do you feel the like way, there was uh, a... Here, here, let, me, let me do a Jeopardy question for you. Like, who, who are the only two people on the planet who have been held in criminal contempt by the U.S. Congress and sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party. Can you guess that? Is it you and Dan? No. <laughs> me, me, and, me and Steve Bannon. You okay? and Steve Bannon, yeah. And I, I got half of it right. Because, because, because the, the, the Chinese Communist Party, the authoritarian kind of behavior that it engages in, is not unlike what, what Shifty Shift and little Jamie Raskin uh, and Liz Cheney are, are all about. And, and you're right to point out, if you look at those nine people, and this will, this will matter at the Supreme Court, when this stuff comes up to the Supreme Court and they look at that committee, they, they cannot argue that it's, it's a nonpartisan committee, Cheney and Kinzinger notwithstanding, because you got uh, the people who are on there are the ones who pushed hard for two Trump impeachments, and that includes Cheney and Kinzinger. So, this, you know, this is, this is, it's just, it's just wrong. There's issues. You know, my statement, I, there's something really you do have to get to it's the crazy. bottom. It's crazy. It's crazy. It says, why was Pelosi and the Capitol Hill police and the Pentagon not protecting that perimeter when Donald Trump told them to get it? And were there FBI informants instigating that bomb? Let me, let me ask you one I more, one more question. Yeah. The last question, because okay. we only have a minute left. Did, did, yeah. did, the, did, the, did the police, did the, uh, uh, p- uh, the state police over there open up the doors? Did he, nobody broke down those doors. The did somebody police. open up? The Capitol the Police. police did they open the doors? I'll tell you what, what, we, we, what we know, and there's video of this. There was some, some, uh, some number, small number of people 
in front of the Capitol Hill police who took down those barriers before the crowds got there. And there is speculation that these were either Antifa, BLM, or some kind of FBI informant instigators. That's what we need to get to the Who bottom. Who opened yeah, the doors? Aren't they locked, the, they're locked from the They're not locked from the outside, uh, uh, Peter. They're locked from the inside. Yeah, Who yeah, opened you know, the doors? There's a lot of questions to be answered, but uh, they're barking up the wrong tree with me because in my In Trump Time book, I show the last three people on God's good earth who wanted that piece of chaos that day were Trump, myself, and Bannon because we had a way to get only legal votes count and stop the steal of that election, and that violence killed that uh, Green Bay sweep um, in its crib. That Capitol Police, I believe, opened those doors. Those doors don't open by themselves. Somebody opened them from the inside. Peter Navarro, do you think that the January 6th committee cares about finding out the truth, the whole truth? Or are they more concerned about making sure that Donald Trump and all of you are in prison and that Trump never runs again? Well, bingo. If they can embroil... Trump in a felony charge, they can prevent him from running. And boy, if they if they are successful at that, the, the, the all hell is going to break loose. So that's their mission. It's not about getting to the truth. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. We have a very spirited conversation here. Very spirited. Uh, yeah, we're just uh, fired up all the time because, you know what, we want the truth to get out. That's I'm all we hand, care about. I'm handing out blood pressure medicines to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we don't Give care, who's going to care? You know, we're here to make a difference. That's what, that's what it's all about. On the line for us right now, we have Dr. Mark Siegel. Dr. Siegel, how are you, sir? Now I understand that Dr. Casamitidis has me along to actually prescribe the blood pressure medicine. <laughs> so what's this? Double, t- du- double dose. I need a double, doctor. All right, you got it. A double. Uh, in one hand, you get a Bloody Mary, and in the other hand, I'll give Marys. you uh, uh, hydrochlorothiazide. What? Whatever that is. That's the blood <laughs> pressure medication. That's, 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 it's a water pill. It's a diuretic. Oh, it's a di- oh, oh, okay. Uh, Dr. Siegel, what's this about medicine. the fourth COVID shot now for people 50 and over? No way am I taking a fourth COVID shot. Well, so, so I'm on here also because John is going to tell you that the booster... So here's the thing. Most people, over half the people, haven't even taken the third shot. The the point of this, and this is the usual mismessaging, the point of this is to have it available so that I can give it to people who are in immunocompromised, at severe risk, very elderly. None of us are, none of us on the phone here are, are in that group. Obese and you know, are in in very close contact with COVID-19, which, as you know, has gone way down. So this could backfire because we're not given this fourth shot or recommending it for a lot of people. It's to have available is what they have to say, to have it available. And by the way, if you've had COVID over the last couple of months, uh, Omicron 1, it looks like it's protective against Omicron 2. I'm not going to give you it then either. Any estimate so far... How long uh, of an immune system you have if you did have Omicron? Yeah, it, it, that's a really good question. It's at least two to three months. 
and it looks like it gives you some protection against Delta, too. It's at least two or three months. So if you had two shots and you had Omicron, or certainly if you had three shots and had Omicron, you're really well protected. And it's going to be at least two or three months. Now, sometime in April, the FDA is going to come out and announce yet another shot, whether that's Omicron-specific or whether that's Novavax. I don't know what they, what they have up in mind. They're not telling me, but, but they're going to offer more options in about two weeks. Has and anybody, has anybody sued? Has anybody sued the FDA yet for disclosure on the side effects? No. Judge, uh, Judge Weinberg, the... maybe uh, we should consider a case. All we have to do is get standing. There's enough people out there who've been injured by it. A class well, it's a very, a it's class a very scary uh, team there. Weinberg, <laughs> Judge Weinberg and, and, and John Casmatidis. I mean, I'd be afraid of that team. We'll <laughs> bring uh, in Alan uh, Dewinsky, too. Uh, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, Dershowitz. <laughs> Dewinsky is somebody else. He used to play yeah. Chicago Cubs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Dershowitz, Weinberg. Can I change the subject? Craig Eaton. I'm there. I'm there. Can I change the subject? Speaking of long-term... Yeah, because the side effects are still rare. I mean, they're there, but yeah, go ahead. Change the subject. <laughs> change the subject. So the big topic now, everybody's talking about the whole transgender and giving the kids the hormones. Can you talk about just how dangerous this is for children to give them hormones or anybody in general that could cause cancer? People are not understanding just how mentally and physically destructive this kind of movement can be for kids. Yeah, you said it all already, Lydia. I, I think that, you know, kids that are really at an age, you, the, that movement likes to say kids know this from birth. Kids don't know this from birth. They may be confused. There may be socialization issues. I'm way against this. I think this is very interventional uh, in a way that can be harmful. I think once you're doing that to a kid, you're kind of pushing them down a road where they can't go back. And, of course, there's also certain states are, are allowing mastectomies on, on 12 and 13-year-olds. I mean, I, I think this is going way too far. I'm, I'm all for therapy. I'm all for expression. I'm not for direct medical intervention that has long-term and short-term side effects. Not what I, you, it's not what you would ever find me doing. John Katzmatidis, you ever thought there'd be a day where you're talking about kids getting their body parts amputated and taking hormones because they think they're a girl or a guy or whatever and all this nonsense going on? The truth is that's very sick. Very, very sick at those ages. Yeah, there's something really going it's on. Very sick, very sad, and like I've said, everybody, somebody is trying to destroy the American way of life. I mean, I grew up, and Judge Weinberg, you grew up, and uh, uh, I don't realize how much how old Mark uh, is, but uh, we watched uh, Ozzie and Harriet, and Father Knows Best. Well, we've seen, by the way, we've seen a shift in the polling numbers where, with this U Penn swimmer. I mean, Lydia was a point guard, right? At Spellman, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So in the Bronx, you'd love playing against guys in the, at, on girls' basketball. I mean, it does. Where two thirds of the voters last month told us that they oppose allowing biological men to play women's sports and and to play in high school sports, etc. That's crazy. And, that's and, crazy. And, and right. I'm still, I'm still stuck back in the day of Renee Richards. I knew Renee Richards because Richard Raskin went to Horace Mann, and I, you know, Cass Matidis knows Horace Mann too. I mean, what's going on? That I thought I was. I'm arrested. My development is arrested in not <laughs> liking Renee Richards playing against Billie Jean King. I didn't think it was fair then, and I don't think it's fair now. And then in Florida, they're talking about the don't say gay bill. But it's not don't say gay. It doesn't say that. It never says that. All it says is don't talk about sex. Don't, don't talk about it's, sexual it's orientation. About it's all about indoctrination on, at the early kids, ages. Five years old to eight years old. It's indoctrination. It's doctors falling for political agenda. Hello. That's not what they taught us in medical school. That's not the Hippocratic Oath. 
Now, the other thing we're going to talk about, and you're, Mark Siegel, you're so entertaining, we're going to keep you on the phone. <laughs> uh, jo- John, you're going to talk about the polls in New York State, in New York City. Right. Uh, New, New York State, they, they, the state senate and the state uh, assembly told Governor uh, uh, Hochul and told um, uh, Mayor Adams. Adams to pound sand. Yeah. And and they rather they rather protect three thousand criminals uh, doing ninety five percent of the crimes in New York City than protect eight eight and a half million New Yorkers. What say you, uh, John? Well, well, first of all, I got to be very honest with you. I, I have a vested interest in this because last year I worked for the Nassau Republicans and other Republicans around the state, and we were very very successful running that against cashless bail. And you got Bruce Blakeman as county exec, you got Ann Donnelly as DA. And we won a lot of other offices. This year, I'm working for Lee Zeldin. I've always worked for Lee Zeldin. And Lee's for firing Alvin Bragg, repealing cashless bail right away. And we did the poll that the New York Post reported on, where Zeldin was ahead of Hochul by a point, and he was way in front of the Republican primary, 45 to 14 to 14 to 7, uh, over his opponents. And the difference with our poll, like in Siena, is we do likely voters. If you tell us you're not going to vote, we don't c- conduct that interview because I'm wasting my clients' money. So what? So what I do? So Siena like did registered voters in New York State. There's 13 million voters in 2018 for governor. You had a high turnout because uh, of the midterm, but it was only six million. So our polls reflect the six million who actually would vote and are likely to vote because they're upset about crime. And they said New York is on the wrong track, 61 to 29. They they said they would prefer a generic Republican over a Democrat, 40, 47 to 44. And Joe Biden, who they voted for, 60 to 39, has only a, has only a 43% approval of 55 disapproved. And the Siena poll, even though they had this wider registered voters universe, Hochul was only 43 reelect. 43% said they want a new person. Judge uh, Weinberg, uh, you, we, I had Inez Dinkins the other day on as an interview, and we agreed that we should get maybe four state senators, four uh, state assembly people, and four business people from New York and have a debate, a live debate, between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock during our show on and discuss, discuss uh, making 8.5 million people safe. Uh, safe Rather than protecting, those people are protecting 3,000 criminals that are violent criminals. Because they're I'm not, I'm not even saying criminals that, that stole a wire. Violent criminals. Well, the problem is that uh, in a few days, the state legislature has to enact the budget. And Hochul has been saying that she wants, as part of the budget process, changes in the so-called bail reform and raise the age and other, and other laws. You have to see what happens in that budget process. If the legislature turns her down, then we have a real problem in our hands, and we really have to gather so the we'll troops know. to we'll make know. the change. We'll know in a few days. And I understand we were supposed to have uh, Deputy Mayor Banks on this call. Phil Banks was supposed to be. Uh, and, he's up uh, there negotiating right now. He's up there and he's stuck in negotiations. He wasn't able to come on the show. Maybe we'll have him tomorrow. I mean, we're talking about people that have 60 arrests under their belts and that randomly attack a six-year-old. That's what just happened recently. Or the 61-year-old uh, woman that was being robbed at knife point in front of the pizzeria in Queens. These are, Or the guy that was trying to buy an Egg McMuffin at Penn Station and now he's in critical condition in the hospital. For an Egg McMuffin. For an Egg 
like and for no reason at Unsolid- all. These are unsolicited attacks. Exactly, attacks. random attacks. How many more people have to be attacked? And they keep talking you know, about the you know, black say, and brown side. What about the victims? I said this to a leading. One second. I said this to a leading uh, official in in the state. I don't want to disclose the name right now. I said it used to be three strikes and you're out. What is it now? Is it 9, 10, 10 14, yeah. and 25? It's, it's, At what point do you say this person cannot, cannot be rehabilitated? And let's ask Dr. Siegel. Dr. Siegel, we have a problem with the mentally ill mentally on the Ill. streets. What should we be doing about that? Well, we have to start, and I'm sorry to interrupt, with the whole idea that, it, that we've we got to stick with the criminality. We can't make them touchy-feely like, oh, this poor guy. We have to understand why he attacked a six-year-old. You know, we have to, we have to treat him and rehabilitate him through a mental health uh, interventions. That's where the, the Democrats are going to go here, isn't it? They're going to become another group you can't criticize or can't lock up. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, it would be good for me because with my polls... This poll I was talking about was two to one Democrat, 50 percent Democrat. And they're telling us that 52 to 41, they want Republicans instead of these Democrat socialists. Enough Enough is enough. enough. We're at a time. Rehabilitatable. They're not rehabilitatable. That's the point John was making. You're right. You're absolutely right. We're at a time. Dr. Mark Siegel, thank you so much. And Judge Richard Weinberg, Craig Eaton and John McLaughlin (laughs) and and my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. God God bless New York. God bless America. And make a donation to WABCRadio.com. The uh, foundation, all the money goes 100% to the uh, Ukraine, and it will be distributed by Goya Foods at wholesale prices. Thank you so much. God bless everybody. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.